said. Amen. Well, good morning to everybody. And um, there is a highway of holiness and human purpose for you and I to walk. And uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Without purpose or without vision, people perish or they cast off restraint. And casting off restraint means to, they go into a life of sin so easily. And the Bible says it's because they have lost a vision or a purpose for their lives. And every day you and I are given choices. And uh, each choice gives us the opportunity to stay the same, to go lower or to go higher. And many times, particularly in this day and age, we seem to shrug off the responsibility of where we are in life and quickly revert to just placing blame on a situation or somebody else. Rarely do we look to ourselves as being the answer. But daily we are given the opportunity to make a decision to go up to the city of the, of the great king. That's what Jerusalem was called. They said, I went... And they say when the, the man went down to Jericho, he said he left the city of the great king. And somebody who's backslidden in heart, who has known the ways of God and walked away from it, will leave the city of the great king. And it's not surprising that you go down to Jericho. You've already been up, but now you're going to go down. And it's not, I found it's not the big steps in life. And I'm just 60 years of age now at myself. And so there's a little bit to reflect on. And I have found, just looking back for myself, it's not the big steps in life that seem to elevate the most, but it's the rather the culmination or the accumulation of small, continuous steps that do, in fact, take you higher and higher. They are daily steps. They're often hour-by-hour hour steps or minute-by-minute minute steps. Do I get angry or frustrated at the situation or do I take the higher ground and exercise grace and work with my brothers, work with my sisters? Do I fly off the handle or just curtail myself, bring my life subjected under the Spirit? You and I have those choices. And, uh, and choosing the higher step, choosing the higher act, or choosing uh, the higher intent, the higher ground in, in every decision on a daily basis, it what actually makes to a, a great life. To make aliyah is to go up. When Jews from around the world are returning to Israel, and they have been doing so for just over 100 years now, 120 years now, they've been returning, as been foretold for over 4,000 years, Jews are this day returning to Israel. And it says it is a greater miracle than the exodus from Egypt. And, but they, to return to Israel is, means to make aliyah, which means to go up. And when, you, when you're in Jerusalem itself, and I've been there, and it says you always seem to be going up because it's on hills and a hill upon hill upon hill. It doesn't matter where you want to go. There always seems to be a hill to go up. And uh, that's what it's like to go up to the temple, which is the highest place. And so we're called to go from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and Paul puts it this way. He says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. See, we're not staying the same. We're asked to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Not going the same, not going down. But generally, it's a personal decision. It doesn't happen by itself. 
and you and I will ultimately reflect the God we serve. So just want to come to uh, Joshua chapter 3 right now. And uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua. I pray that you've brought your Bibles and, uh, and a notebook and pen. And uh, just allow God to speak to you and... When he drops something into your spirit, write it down so you can reflect on it. It's a great thing to do, and I always encourage people will continue to do so. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they came out from Acacia Grove and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. And there you see that word crossed over. And uh, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you set out from the place, go after it. Yet you shall be a space between you and about 2,000 cubits, which is about a 1,000 metres or a kilometre. Do not come near it, that's the Ark, that you may know the way by which you must go, uh, for you have not passed over this way before. That word pass there is a var, which means to cross over. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. Verse 6, Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take, the, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark and the covenant and went before the people. I'm just going to skip a few verses there and go over to verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Into verse 14, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. We'll go down to verse 16 and the latter half of that verse. So the waters they went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea failed. And what happened is the waters on the left and the right of them as they crossed over banked up and the people were able to cross the Jordan which was in flood as on dry ground. And it says, and the waters were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And then Jericho is uh, probably the lowest city in all the earth. And uh, the Dead Sea just down the road is the lowest place in all the earth. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Who knows what I'm going to be talking about this morning? It's talking about crossing over. And um, so the presence of the Lord went before them. You know, when you make a decision to cross over, know that the presence of the Lord goes before you. You're not going somewhere where you have, perhaps, perhaps you haven't been that way before, but the Lord is going before you to prepare a way before you. And even before the Messiah came, John the Baptist came in the spirit of John the Baptist and he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord to raise up the valleys, to, straight, to straighten out the crooked roads, to bring down the mountains, level, make a level playing field for you so you too can cross over. In Genesis 4.13, Abram the Hebrew is mentioned the first time. Let's go to that for the first... So you, you can follow the method by which I often study. And so you can see in uh, chapter 14 of Genesis, in verse 13, 
Then one who had escaped came out and told Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time the word Hebrew there is mentioned in the Bible. And so there's a law in the Bible called the law of first reference. And so when we study any word in the Bible, we go to its absolute origin and you'll find a golden thread of meaning throughout all of Scripture called the law of first mention or the law of first reference. And you think, well, what is the significance? And the significance is this. The word Hebrew in Hebrew is the word Ivri. Can you say that? Ivri. Ivri. Come on, Jess, you can have a go. Ivri. You've got to roll that R a little bit. Ivri. Do it with a bit of attitude. Ivri. Hebrews, which is the plural, is Ivrim. Say Ivrim. Ivrim. That's it. And the Hebrew language is called Ivrit. Can you say that? Ivrit. That's the Hebrew language itself. And so Ivri comes from the Hebrew root word Avar, which means to cross over. In the Hebrew language, the root letters of any word never lose their meaning in that word throughout all of Scripture. So, to I say, I understand Hebrew. It says, Anima Vinivrit. I understand a little Hebrew, not so well, that's me. I understand a little Hebrew, not so well, but I like to really delve into it where I can. The meaning of the root word is never forgotten in this most rich and colourful language, which our whole Old Testament is written in Hebrew. In 300 BC, the Hebrew Bible which is called the Tanakh, was translated into Greek. That was 300 years before Jesus was born. And so the, the avar means to cross over. And so Abraham here in the Bible here, in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 13, is identified as the man who crossed over. And where did he cross over from? Well, he came from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is on the other side of this vast desert Chaldeans is Babylon, right down the southern action. So he had to cross over the Euphrates, over that vast desert, over the top, through the fertile crescent, and down into what was called the promised land. And so he, he was known as the man who crossed over. He had a purpose, and everybody in the land that Abraham became a prince amongst men, everybody knew him as a wealthy, wealthy man. And nobody who, the who's who of anybody knew Abraham. And, or they knew him as Abram, the man who crossed over. And the Lord said to him in Genesis 12, 1, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he, Abram crossed over the Euphrates, over that vast desert, through the fertile crescent and down into that area. To leave one land and cross into another, and that actually has been the continual history of believers in the, and of the Hebrew nation to this day. And so this grand theme of crossing over from one life to the next is absolutely carried through into the New Testament and in the message of salvation itself. The whole message of salvation is about crossing over. And the trouble with it personally, our lives, is sometimes we cross over and then we go back. 
But if we made a decision, like Abram made a decision, there was no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. And I see a lot of lives are made very, very complex. People have made a decision to cross over, but they're still looking over their shoulder and dragging that thing of the past with them. And our lives are complex because of that and for no reason. John 5, 24, he says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. It says he has crossed over from death unto life. When you made a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you crossed over from death, which is where you were. You were spiritually dead, going nowhere. Your eternal life was death itself. There was no eternal future for you except condemnation. But having received Christ, being forgiven your sin, washed with the blood of the Lamb, you crossed over into an abundant life. My question to you today is, have you crossed over? Have you crossed over? Have you made that decision? Eternal life for some people here today can start right now. If you've delayed this decision, I encourage you, make it today. The Bible says in Isaiah, it says, Today is the acceptable day of salvation. Inheriting eternal life is not an accident. Inheriting eternal life is a decision that you make. No one's putting a sword to your throat. Whenever I bring a message of salvation to people, sure I'm grieved if people don't accept it, but I'm relinquished of my responsibility when I have delivered that message. Because Jesus and the gospel and the God of all creation gave us a free will and you are a free agent and you per he has never taken away that personal decision that you can make. He has given us dominion, it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And he doesn't usurp his own authority that he delegated to you. He give you the decision to make a decision for yourself. Isn't that wonderful? In contrast, the Islamic doctrine basically puts people to the sword if they refuse to make the right decision in their eyes. Not so with the gospel. Not so. We are called to love people into the kingdom. So the first pers uh, Passover, the portal, in Exodus 12, 21, let's just go there. Genesis, Exodus. We're going to learn to flick through the Bible with ease in this place. And it'll be through reason of use. And it's so, it will be a great help to you when you can do it. And so in Exodus 12, 2, uh, 12, uh, and Exodus chapter 12 and verse uh, uh, 21, then Moses called for the elders of the Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. In verse 22, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, which was like a bush, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel, that's the lintel over the top, and the doorpost of your homes. And, uh, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house and to strike you. On the night of the Passover, the Hebrews put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost and the lintel on their doorways. And that night an angel of death passed over them and, uh, 
and uh, leaving behind. And so when that happened, they left a life of bondage. That very next morning, that was the last night they were to be in bondage. In the morning, they were to walk through that door. And in a way, they crossed over that threshold of that door. They crossed over. As you cross over the threshold to come into the house of God, they crossed over out of their homes into their future. They made a decision and it was through the blood of the Lamb. And that is the same for us today. Uh, And they left behind a life of bondage. They left behind the whip and the lash in their old lives to enter into a new life. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you left the bondage behind. You left the whip and the lash. I don't know why we want to hang on to it. Why do we want to look back and glorify in our past when it had nothing to offer us? And they entered into a new life. They were given a new identity. And that's what you have when you come in, when you come into fellowship with the Lord. You are given a new identity. Your identity is no longer in yourself, in your sin, and all the rest of the stuff. But your identity now is, is in the righteousness of God in Christ. And you enter a new realm and you're escorted by God himself into the new land as they were in the promised land. God himself through a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day escorted them, went before them. You're not crossing over on your own, but the Lord has gone before you every step of the way. And you can have a great assurance in that, great comfort in that. The blood on the doorway became a portal to one life, a bit like a Star Trek sort of thing. It's a portal which took you into a new realm. And when you make that decision, you walk through perhaps a narrow door as described in Matthew chapter 7. You walk through a narrow door, but it doesn't stay narrow for long because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and opens to you a vast lifestyle which you never knew even existed. And you thought before you became a Christian, before you looked at people who, and you thought they were narrow-minded sort of people who lived a confined life, But the exact opposite was the truth. When they accepted Christ, when you accept Christ, you enter in via the narrow gate. But then is open to you the vastness of heaven's riches itself. 1,500 years later, after this first Passover, an instrument of death called the cross became a doorway to new life. We enter this new life via the cross that's the portal now that we walk through you accept christ on the cross and a whole new life is open to you and jesus our passover lamb shed his blood and now we enter the portal to everlasting life via the person of jesus christ crossing over from death unto life it's a beautiful thing and until you've experienced it i encourage you to pursue the truth Because the truth that is revealed to you will set you free. Set you free from the bondages, the whip and the lash. The Hebrews crossed from Egypt. They crossed then from Egypt and the desert over the Red Sea. They crossed over. They entered into the promised land and then they crossed the Jordan. There never seems to be, yet there is always something to cross. Every day, whether it's the polling booth where you vote yes or no for things, You're crossing over from death unto life. You're making a decision. So true to their name, Hebrew are called really the crossover people. And we being 
members of the household of God. We are people who have crossed over from death unto new life. They say, oh, you look a bit different. You sound a bit different. We should be different because we are a people who have crossed. Death no longer is held. We are no longer held to a life and perishing in death. We've been set free into a life of liberty, leaving one land to enter another. Colossians 3, 2, and Paul sets it out this way. He said, setting our mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, or looking back, things of the earth. For we are but pilgrims, sojourners, or aliens in a foreign land. I noticed one thing. Elderly, elderly people seem to offload all their possessions. Somehow they know their time is, is near. Whether they're well or sickly makes no difference, but I notice that they start offloading their precious things, giving their favourite vase to their favourite daughter, giving their best tools to their sons. And they say, oh, I'll take this with you as you go. Because the things of this earth, they know uh, eternity has been put into the heart of every man, says Ecclesiastes 3.11. And somehow the, everybody seems to know that they're going to step into another realm whether it is the kingdom of heaven or the other kingdom. There's two kingdoms, even though the other kingdom may be dressed. I call it the bright lights of hell is that other kingdom. It's got bright lights. It always striving for your attention, but it's hell nonetheless. When I was 14 years of age, my parents, along with their five children, crossed over the border from New South Wales into the promised land of Queensland. Hallelujah. The state of origin started about a few years later and I was just in heaven. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm a Queenslander because the state of origin series didn't start till after I moved here. Have you crossed over today? Have you made a decision to receive Jesus Christ? Or having once made this decision, why do we somehow look back to the, the bondage ungodly lifestyles and all that sort of stuff, bad attitudes, and somehow we want to drag this old life into the new. When Jesus says, you're a new creation, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, the old is gone, there's a severing that can take place. And sometimes the severing has taken place, and yet sometimes in our Christian walk we can sort of look back to the leeks and garlic of Egypt and want want more of that as Dathan did and the earth swallowed up and, and took him whole in 2nd Kings chapter 2 we read about the prophet Elijah and he was about to be taken up into heaven and who's heard of the prophet Elijah and uh, I found when the, the most wicked of kings God brought forth the most hard headed prophet Elijah and God always has a man or a woman to stand in the gap. Always has somebody. And the kings of the earth have always been confronted with the gospel. Always. Wicked king Ahab was presented with the ministry of Elijah, who had the finesse of a wild bull. And uh, we read that the prophet Elijah was about to be taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. And Elisha, his protege, was told that if he saw his, his uh, prophet Elijah go up into a heaven, he indeed would receive a double portion for which he asked. A double portion of what? A double portion of the anointing of God upon his life. 
So Elisha positioned himself for success and would not leave his master's side until he had received that blessing. And so they left this little township called Gilgal. It's interesting to note that Elijah and Elisha retraced Joshua's entry into the promised land in reverse. In the same way that Joshua crossed over off to Jericho and then went on to, into succession to three or four of these cities, Elijah and Elisha retraced those steps back over the Jordan and crossed over. Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to Jordan, and crossed over on the other side. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, Now Elijah took his mantle. His mantle is his cloak. Now his cloak was probably something like what John the Baptist wore. And, uh, and Elijah took, and, and uh, Elijah was taken up into heaven. Elijah rolled up his mantle when they came to the, to the river Jordan and he struck that waters and divided the Jordan this way and that so they could cross over on dry land. See, the crossing over appears all through Scripture once it's revealed to you. And so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. In verse 9 it says, And it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. What a great prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Let a double portion of some anointing that you that somehow you identify with because it's an inner witness, it's a gifting that God has placed in your life, but there's got to be a desire to have the things of God. And, and as you ask, you shall receive. Ask of me and I will give you nations for your inheritance. Ask and you receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you, said Jesus in Matthew 7, 7. And this was no time for Elisha to be bashful. Sometimes we can have a false humility and say, oh, I could never ask for that from the Lord, nor from one of his saints. I'm, uh, and we have, a, a, I don't know, some sort of false humility. But God just loves a holy boldness about seeking after the gifts and the calling of God. God is looking for boldness in people. A Holy Ghost boldness, not a brashness and an arrogance that he abhors. He dislikes that. But a Holy Ghost boldness that says, I want me some of that. Have you ever seen that yourself in the things of God? And you said, I'm going to have me some of that. And you're determined. You set your face like flint. You set your sails so that you can catch that wind of the Spirit. And so, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And Elisha the protege, prophet of Elijah, the fiercest prophets of the Old Testament, he grabbed that cloak as it fell from the chariot of fire that whisked Elijah into the heavens. And the mantle fell down into Elijah's hand. But what did he do with it? It was interesting to note at the men's breakfast that Warren, uh, Warren Saxon had a beautiful word of encouragement for us. And he says, it's great to have a call of God, but where is the obedience to it? Many people have got calls of God, but their obedience to the calling is non-existent. They've received great words of prophecy. But what do we do? The Bible tells us, Paul says, work out your prophecy or contend for your prophecy. It doesn't fall in your lap. There is a working towards the fulfillment of those things. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. 
and he tore his own clothes. In other words, like blind Bartimaeus, he got rid of his own clothes. There he was, stark naked in the desert, near the Jordan, just crossed through the water. And then he put on Elisha's coat. And that would have been a smelly old coat, I reckon. <laughs> Elijah's coat was the same coat that bore witness to the slaying of 450 prophets of Baal. It's the same coat that ran after and overtook Ahab's chariot. It had a bit of sweat in that coat, had a bit of sun in that coat, had a bit of sand and grit, not probably quite as much as Elijah's beard, but a fair bit. And he tore his own clothes, a sign of mourning, but he was also preparing to put on the new mantle. There is a crossing over for all of us. And it's a by decision. And it's by intent. Colossians 3.9, put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In Romans 13.14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great word of encouragement. Now, Elisha, did he reminisce and did he uh, commiserate? Or did he mourn or drop in despair that Elijah, basically the man whom he served for so many years, and he wouldn't have been an easy guy to serve, but he grabbed that mantle. He grabbed that mandate and mission of the bold prophet. He approached the same Jordan River, and he struck the waters and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he put a demand on the spirit. He put a demand on the mantle and he put a demand on the anointing of God and he took it for himself. That mantle that Elijah wore healed the leper, slew the prophets of Baal, had a life of its own, that mantle, and a smell of its own. The mantle was there to witness the 16 miracles recorded in the Bible in the book of Kings. It's interesting to note that in the book of Kings, there are 32 miracles recorded on the prophet Elisha. Why? Because he struck the waters. He grabbed that mantle for himself. He crossed over, asked for the double portion, and he received it. And written and recorded for all to see are 32 recorded miracles by Elisha. He then in verse 14 crossed over the Jordan as you and I are here today. We're here to cross over again. And we can make a decision. I believe the Lord has got great prophetic words and has spoken great prophetic words even in recent months and days over this church over this region, over the north and over the west and over this pe people who don't know their left hand from their right hand. But it's going to take a people of tenacity to grab hold of the mantle and cross over and embrace the promises that God has for us. I ask today, will you, will you pray it in, the prophecies that have been spoken over, not over your, over your own lives, but over this region on behalf of others? It's interesting to note then that Elisha then retraces the steps from Jordan to Jericho, past through Gilgal and on to Bethel, exactly retraces those steps as Joshua did when he came into the promised land. And then he went straight on to Mount Carmel in the north of Israel where, where the mantle itself was witness to the slaying of the prophets of Baal. He asserted his authority of God in his life and before the people. It's a great story, isn't it? Great story. I pray you're encouraged by it. 
The Feast of Tabernacles or Booze calls to remembrance the life in the wilderness and where people lived in tents or temporary dwellings. And I was over there in the September of 2016 and they celebrated this while I was there. And people for, for the whole week or two weeks, they lived in a temporary dwelling attached to their house. Perhaps they covered their veranda in with palm leaves and it was to remind them that they were in the, when they were in the wilderness, they lived in temporary dwellings, but that also here on the earth, we all live in temporary dwellings and are sojourners. And, um, and it says in Romans 8, 2, he says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. And so we are in a different realm. We don't belong to the realm of the earth. But we live, live in an eternal and look forward to an eternal crown. A different world, a, where, a world where everything was subject to the name that is above every name. And it's not, a, and uh, we say, oh, this walk of faith, it's a walk in the darkness, but it's not. It is a walk in the light. It's not a blundering. Faith is not blind nor stupid. I've said it before. It's not against. Uh, it's not against reason, but it stands above reason. And uh, some people say, well, Jeff, you don't know my lot. You don't know where I am in life. And uh, you don't know my lot. It's, it's my lot, but it's not a lot. And uh, you lost your job. Um, I think in a heavenly outlook, you've been released from a worldly money, monetary system and released into a kingdom of economics, the kingdom economics. And aren't you glad that you've been a faithful tither all these years because that'll kick in. When I knew in the beginning of the year that Jules and I were called into a life of service on a permanent basis, I resigned from my job for the first time in my life. And I cut myself off from all earthly supply. And it seemed crazy. My, my family have always thought I was crazy, I suppose. But a life of faith to people who are outside the realm of faith is a crazy walk. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But the provision of God that came into our lives over that, over that period of five months was astounding. We lack nothing. We lack for nothing. And the Lord made a way where there apparently was no way. And Philippians 4.9, And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Maybe that was just a verse that you knew. But when you look to God for provision, it becomes something real. And when checks start coming in, money starts coming in, bills paid for you when they have no knowledge of what you're doing, because we resolve not to let anybody know what we were doing, only to hear from God. This wasn't even on, on the radar. Charters Towers for us was not on the radar. I'd put Charters Towers out of my mind for 20 years. Pastor Tom says, when are you moving here? I said, never. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? Never say never. It's a stupid thing to say. But he retraced those steps, Elisha. And then um, I covered that and the Feast of Tabernacles and the, the fact that we live in temporary dwellings. Our life here on earth is but a temporary thing. And, um, but you and I too can grab hold of that mantle and that calling, that mission and that mandate who through faith, as we said in Hebrews 11.33, 
to subdue kingdoms, work righteousness and obtain promises. That is a mantle that you can pick up for your own life and for a life of this church. You can pick up that mantle for your business. You can pick up that mantle for your health. And, uh, and as we have been grafted into the vine, we too are a people who have crossed over from death unto life, where one life has ended and a new life has begun. We too have passed through a barrier, through the veil that is his flesh, says Paul. And you will have known, for those who have made a decision to receive Christ, you have known two realms. You have known a natural realm and you now live in a spiritual realm. And for those who have never made that decision, only a natural realm has been revealed to them. And you only know in theory this realm here because you've never made a decision. But when you make a decision to walk and step over and you enter via the cross into this new eternal realm, it's narrow, it's a narrow gate. You think there's only one way. Jesus says, enter via the cross. That is the only way. But when you make that decision, it becomes a doorway. And as the blood was on the lintels and the doorpost of the home in the first Passover in Egypt, so too the blood of Jesus Christ forms a doorway for you. And you go through that narrow door and opened up to you, there will be an eternal life which you never knew existed. And how glorious it is. It's a glorious life, isn't it, Bob? It's a glorious life. It's a wonderful life. And so we've known the two realms, but we left behind an old life and you're now entering into a new. And from darkness unto life, from the temporal into the eternal. You will grab hold of everything in this life with everything that you have got. But when your life draws to an end, you realise that those things that you are hanging on to, you are white knuckled for nothing because you know that it's all ashes at the end of the day. Have you once having entered the new life, severed the old and are dragging it along behind you? I encourage you today, if you're dragging the old life behind you into this new life, you will be weighed down. And as I've said before, you'll have just enough Christianity to make you miserable. But when you release yourself, burn the ships, cut your ties off, from everything that is old, the Lord will come in and release you into a life that is so enormously fulfilling. James 4.4 said, Do you not know that the friendship with the world is at enmity? That is an enemy of God. A love of the things of this earth is at enmity with God. Jesus said to you in John 3.3, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul put it this way. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. So Jesus, the Christ, the King of the Hebrews, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Ivri of the Ivrim. That's exactly what he is. The one who crossed over for us. Not as when Moses crossed the Red Sea. No, Jesus didn't do that. But he crossed over nonetheless, not as Joshua crossed over the Jordan. No, beyond that, not as Jesus in his earthly ministry even crossed over the Galilee, walked, this, walked Galilee barefooted across turbulent waves. He crossed over Jesus. What's different about Jesus is he crossed over from death unto life and defeated death itself. 
It's a beautiful story, an amazing story. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death unto life. That's what the Apostle John said in 524. Have you crossed over today? Jules, can I just get you to play on the, play on the ivories for a moment? In Psalm 30, I just, you can just jot it down. I've just made some quick notes from Psalm 30. And I ask that you just, just peruse it in your own time. And I saw this morning this chapter of Scripture written three and a half thousand years ago by David. Three and a half thousand years ago. Sorry, three thousand years ago. Three thousand years ago. And there was a bit of a contrast. Brett's saying, what's the difference? 500 years. <laughs> but in the psalm, it, it contrasts mourning, not as in the daylight, but mourning as in grief, with dancing. I saw it in the light of the old life and the new. There's a contrast in this psalm of sackcloth, which is mourning clothes and gladness. There is a gladness when you're in the kingdom of God. There is a contrast of sickness as opposed to receiving healing of every form and description. There is a contrast of the words written in Psalm 30 of the grave opposed to being alive. Before I came to Christ, I felt like I was the living dead and I was harnessed to sin and I didn't know how to get rid of it. It speaks of being in the pit and in anger. And I've been into Caiaphas' house in the centre part of Jerusalem and the pit that Jesus was put into I have stood in before he was condemned to die that very night before a kangaroo court. And they don't have to put any doors or bars on the pit because you are lowered into the pit via a rope. I've been in the very, very pit where he was and this psalm reads all the more different when you can imagine the pit was a water cistern and at times would have been filled with water. Right next to that pit were the very, very prison, the cistern itself where Peter and James were bolted to the wall and I saw those Mannequins there, manacles. But Psalm 30 also speaks of night as an absolute darkness. And then it speaks about the morning and prosperity. I'll close with this chapter here today. And there's two things. Jesus said in Matthew 7:13, the words in red. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. In other words, millions of people are going with the madding crowd. You say, but everybody's doing this. That's an alarming sign. When you see everybody as sheep or lemmings would run off the face of a cliff, is humanity racing towards eternal destruction. Jonathan Edwards described men frantically living their life as running over a rotting parchment over the fires of hell itself and any moment 
their foot could break through. When he described it in his amazing sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. People don't preach hell these days, but Jesus preached it more than he preached heaven. But there is a portal for you to go through today. And that portal is the cross. And the cross, that instrument of death, is the portal to eternal life. When you repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you have now a new destination. And the old is absolutely gone. And you can cut off. And I say there's two things this morning. There's people in this room who need to give their life to Christ. But the other thing I want to pray about is that once having made your decision, I pray make a decision and cut off the line that is you are dragging your old life into the new. When Jesus said, cut it off, it is severed by the blood of the cross and leave it behind. Look back perhaps, but do not stare and begin to walk with God. I pray that you stand to your feet now. If you would, you're able to do so. Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's anybody here you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I pray, talk to me straight after the meeting. Two men did so yesterday and they were weeping tears of repentance. And you think, well, weeping men is not a pretty sight. But I tell you what, in the eyes of God, it meant a party in heaven. There was a party in heaven yesterday as two men were reconciled to God. If you've never made that decision or you need to recommit, I pray, see me straight after the meeting or run to the front now. And the second is this. If you're continually looking back and somehow not fully trusting God because you're dragging this old life with you, old lifestyles, old mindsets, and we need to have them severed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray a dynamic supernatural work in the Spirit right now. There is an anointing to sever from your lives the things of the past. We might like to call them old habits, but the Bible calls it sin. It doesn't mince with words. It calls things like adultery, sin. It think, calls things like pornography and every unclean thing, every adulterous behavior, because we serve multiple gods in addition to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the things of this world have become idols in our life. Uh, there's a power right now to sever them from your life in the name of Jesus. And I say, be severed from your old life in the name of Jesus. And cross over, cross over, cross over. And I say, the cross before you, the world behind you. No turning back, no turning back in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If that's the prayer of your heart today, there's some stuff that's hanging around like an old chook tied around your neck. Just come to the front now. There's no shame here. You're amongst family. 
And I believe that there is a power this morning to sever things that you've strived and battled with. And the Lord, I don't need to know what it is. It's between you and God. I want to join my faith with yours, as do your brothers and sisters here in the house, that those things would be severed from your life once and for all.